This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Uh, discipline and structure. I mean, if there's if there's one or two things that, that a military member is good at over anybody else, it would be the structure and the discipline to have a plan to work a plan to have those after action reviews in place so they can make sure what they did was effective. And if it wasn't, they can tweak and change and adopt those things. So yeah, I mean, you have all the discipline and structure in place. Now just figure out a way to translate it from here's me at work to I'm actually the same person at home. A lot of guys talk about the hats they wear, right? I'm a soldier. Oh, and now I'm playing the dad hat. No, like you're still a dad actually while you're a soldier mm-hmm. and you're still a dad, you're still a, a, a dad while you're a soldier and still a soldier while you're a dad, right? It works both ways. So figure like, I know a lot of guys and usually it comes to their, their occupation, whether it's a military member or a CEO or an employee or whatever. And, and it seems to me that a lot of guys are really, really good at the provide component of what it means to be a man. And so they can go into the workforce, whatever that workforce is, kick butt and they can do everything they need to do. And then they have a very difficult time translating that over to their family life. But it's all the same skill sets. It's structure, it's discipline, it's sacrifice, it's prioritizing what's important and what isn't, and just being present in what you're doing. Dory One, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to episode 66 of the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. This is your first time listening. Thank you for stopping by. I hope this podcast enriches your life. I hope that it brings you the hope, the friendship, and the connection as a dad, as a husband, as a veteran, everything that you need to get that energy to go out and be the dad that you were destined to be. If you're a longtime listener, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that you keep coming back. When I receive letters and emails and communications from dads out there listening to this podcast that appreciate what's going on, they appreciate the value of the conversations we're bringing, and they share the impact of what that is happening on in their life, it means the world to me. If you haven't left an iTunes review, those are pure gold for me. One, they help the podcast reach more listeners in the Apple world, but then also they feed me and continue to enrich my passion and mission to help bring every dad home. If you've just started listening or it doesn't matter whether you've been listening for a long time, we have a Facebook group called the Military Veteran Dad. And in it, we have a solid group of men that do life together. We share what's going on and we get committed about doing the big things that we dare to dream. 
for life. And coming up, we are going to start having a weekly Sunday night Zoom call. This is something I'm starting with all of the coronavirus going on as a way that there has never been a, a better time to come together as men to share the load of what we've got going on, to build a tribe of knowledge and to share the knowledge that we have because what you think you're an expert in, someone else isn't. And those connections happen when you're on a Zoom call. And it's I've been on many Zoom calls in other tribes and the magic that can happen is purely amazing. And I can honestly describe it only as magic because men love helping other men and solving problems. And when you get a group of men that have the, the right mindset, the right ideas, the right passion and brotherhood to help each other, amazing things can happen. So in the show notes of this episode, you can go down there and click join the Facebook group. Go on and over. There is a announcement pinned to the top of that group about the Zoom call. Go ahead, drop your email there, and we'll be getting you signed up for that weekly call. Hopefully, we can get it started as soon as possible because the coronavirus is happening right now. And if you missed my Fatherhood Friday from last week, go check it out because that Fatherhood Friday, I dropped four things that I'm doing to take back control and to ensure that I get through on the other side of this coronavirus pandemic and to ensure that I'm a better, stronger, and better person. So go ahead and check that out. And if you haven't checked out Fatherhood Fridays, the feedback has been amazing that people like me jumping on the microphone, bringing some advice from all the different episodes that we brought and my own wisdom of being a dad. Like that has, I've even enjoyed telling my own story through those Fatherhood Fridays. So if you haven't checked those out, go ahead and check them out. We've been dropping them every Friday since January 1st. So there's quite a few there to go ahead and check out. And they're just a great way to kind of give you that energy lift going into the weekend. A lot of feedback says on Monday, you get that nice, innovative interview that gets you excited about being a dad through the week, but kind of fades off by the end of the week. And that Fatherhood Friday is a way to reignite that passion, reignite that mission of being the best dad and husband that you can show up into your family's life on the weekend once the work week's over. This week's episode is something I have been waiting for a long time. I've been waiting a long time since I recorded the episode as well. We recorded it back in mid-February, and now it is release day. Ryan Mickler is someone that you've probably heard if you've been in the podcast space and you've been listening to different podcasts. He runs the Order of Man podcast, and he has a story of how he came to where he is today and where he came from that moves mountains. It moved a mountain for me when I heard it almost four years ago. I've been a, a follower of him for a long time. He helped get this podcast off the ground because I joined one of his podcast pro workshops that he held last year. That got me a little bit closer to Ryan and then also just got me connected to more people within that group. And I'm still friends with a lot of people that are in that group. So Ryan's story is he grew up without that father figure in his life. He didn't have a dad to roughhouse. He didn't even have a dad to teach him how to throw a baseball correctly until he was a freshman in high school. And his story of taking of how he didn't have that example of a father growing up and now how he is owns a podcast that focuses on redefining masculinity for 2020 and how that there is these inner parts of our DNA that we're leaving turned off. And it's part of our soul. And it's part of why a lot of men end up feeling empty, alone, it's often why people, and or not people, but men, go through life just on autopilot. They don't feel like they're living a life of significance. And a lot of that comes from you're not tapping into your, your masculinity DNA that allows you to 
dream big, accomplish big goals, and then pass those goals and shepherd your kids and family through life. Like that's a big part of what Ryan does. If you follow him, you know of what he does. He has rites of passage for all of his three sons. And he has one daughter who he's also then shepherding through with the right definition of masculinity. Because if you've listened to a long time, you know that your daughter will go out into the world to copy the man that you were. And she will bring home a man for dating in high school that is equal to what you set the bar at. And she will judge every man in her life by the standard that you lived your life. And Ryan, I can't think of a better example of a man who does this every day, day in, day out, and helps other men redefine and connect with that DNA every day. Let's get started with Ryan Mickler. Welcome to the show, Ryan. And it's good to be here. I know we've uh, been trying to make this work for a while. I, that's probably more on me than you, but uh, I'm, I'm glad to be here nonetheless. So for people that don't know Ryan, because I believe you're, you're popular in your own space, but there's lots of spaces where Ryan Mickler is not a household name yet. Go ahead and unpack a little bit about your story and what brings you to your mission that you have today. Yeah, I mean, gosh, we could, where to start, right? Like we could go I, I know that's an entire book that you haven't written yet. Well, you've yeah. kind of written, but you've, you've started it. Well, it's written, it's written in blood, sweat, and tears through my life, you know? So <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know if it's written on the pages of a book, but, uh, but it is written. Uh, you know, I, I, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm a pretty normal dude. I mean, really that's it. Like uh, first and foremost, I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I've got four kids. I've been married for, I think it'll be 17 years. Yeah. Seven. Wow. 17 years this year, former financial advisor in my past life. It really messed up with my marriage for Fortunately, my wife and I were able to reconcile, but I learned a lot of things on the path. And as I started to share a little bit about my story with people in my immediate circle regarding the, the struggles I had in my marriage and what I thought it meant to be a man and, and how I could be a better man, a lot of the guys seemed to resonate. So started a podcast and uh, it blew up, man, from, from day one, it blew up. Uh, it's the order of man is the podcast and the movement. And we've been going as of March, it'll be five years. So yeah, we're, we're on a tear to reclaim and restore masculinity. It seems to me that society becomes increasingly dismissive of what it means to be a man and uh, what man's role is in society. I mean, heaven forbid you even say role, like that's a, that's yeah, like there's some like assignment that you, that's to you that, uh, that you don't have a freedom, but it's... Yeah, well, it's not so much of an assignment necessarily, but I think that there are things that generally and inherently men are built to, to do. Same, same thing with women. And I found yeah. that the more that we make ourselves capable of stepping into that role, the more fulfilled and satisfied that we are in life. That's been my experience anyways, and the, and the millions of men that we're helping across the planet. So yeah, here we are five years into Order of Man, and... Uh, no signs of slowing down or stagnating. It continues to grow every single month. And uh, it's just a testament to the power of what we're doing here. And I think because your nature is to tap into the DNA that's there, but most people aren't tapping into, that it energizes almost implicitly the first episode they hear of your voice and what you talk about, because it's, just, it's like exciting molecules that are there just in a very dead state. It just takes a little bit of push to get those molecules resonating at a frequency you're like, what's this feeling I'm feeling inside? And then they instantly want more of it. And it's something that kind of gets them excited a little bit in a way they haven't probably felt for years if this is the first time they've heard your voice and your message. Yeah, I, I, I haven't heard it put that way, but I, but I like that. Um, 
you know, it's funny because you hear a lot of people will say, well, you know, masculinity, femininity, those are just social constructs. Well, they're not. They're not. It's been proven time and time out that, that they're not social constructs. If anything, it's, it's, it's our, our trend towards subduing what it means to be a man that is a social construct, right? And mm-hmm. the only reason we're afforded the luxury of trying to construct and manufacture these, these weird gender roles that, that people are seeming to do these days is because times are easy right? Mm-hmm. We live in, in, in luxury, you know, you're a little, a little cold, turn up the heat or a little hot, turn, turn on the, turn on the air conditioning. You want food, like run down to the convenience store. That's just down the road. And, you know, just pick up that, that piece of beef jerky or that carbonated water or whatever, whatever, whatever it is you're after, uh, you can get immediately on demand. And, uh, we live in very comfortable times, which is nice. I'm not going to lie. Like I, I indulge in the creature comforts, but, um, but you yeah, also live only- in a time where you can binge watch Netflix for an entire week and really not have any part of your livelihood threatened. There's a lot of escapism, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are turning to entertainment, media, even politics can, can fall into that camp as we come up on a yep. presidential election. Uh, certainly drugs, alcohol, pornography. There's, there's a lot of escapism. Uh, professional sports is another one I see quite a bit where people just want to be entertained uh, they want to be distracted from real life. You know, I talk to people occasionally, you know, I bump into them at the convenience store or on a walk or something like that. And they'll, they'll say, oh man, I can't wait till this weekend. I'm like, dude, it's Monday. You got five days and you're, you're going to live five days for the two at the end of the week. That's crazy. But I get that's it. I've the, been there. Yeah. That's the, the American dream that we're sold on. And you probably, I, I, when you follow your Twitter feed, you instantly realize that this thought for you is true, that part of owning your masculinity is owning your ability to create unique thoughts and opinions. And so much of the American society, especially men, we've outsourced that, that desire or that inner ability to have our own opinions. And so many people just adopt the opinions of others instead of trying to understand both sides. And wow, maybe a crazy idea coming up with your own unique view or opinion on a topic versus simulating what everybody else is telling you and then just living that dream. Well, I think it's easy for us to fall prey to that. And I think it's easy for other people to categorize us too, right? Like, so, you know, if you look at me from, from like externally, I've got a beard, like, you know, you can look around. It's, it's not hard to see like what I'm about. And so people place us in these camps, right? They're like, oh, this is the camp this guy goes. You're to. a man that I can't understand. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I get that occasionally. Most, most people don't don't have that thought, but yeah, I do run across that occasionally or, you know, that I'm a, maybe a, a, a right wing God fearing gun toting mm-hmm. crazy man. Right. So, so like that's the camp that you're placed in. And then when you say anything or do anything, uh, that's contrary to what people's preconceived notions of you are, it's like blows their mind. It's like, Oh my goodness. Like this guy's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And that creates some, uh, you know, some, some short wires. In, or when you in start their breaking their stereotype, like, well, a man with a beard that seems to be very stoic can also have a real emotion and cry. Or like, yeah, he cares about his family and he tries to be a great leader and he tries to love his wife compassionately and lead his children with empathy. It's like, that's not what he's supposed to do. According yeah, to my stereotype. That's not the, the bearded flannel man that I see in stereotypes on the wall. Yeah, yeah exactly. Which, you know, I can, I can be those stereotypes too, but yeah, you know, I try and to they come from somewhere. But that's the part that, uh, we don't spend enough time adding depth to our own views as Americans. And that's what I've admired about you because you spend yeah. a lot of time understanding every guest that you bring on, you're adding a depth to your wisdom and your experience and your view of the world that 
rivals anybody else because you've been interviewing some of the most elite people for five years and there's no way that anybody else can even not necessarily touch because everybody can do five years of podcasting, but the way that you've assimilated that in comparison with your own life, that creates a unique you that allows oh, you definitely. to be even more authentic. And that's what I think I liked about you the most because you have a unique story, you bring unique views, and then you kind of brought them together. Same way with my podcast. I bring other military dads together and then I get the benefit from hearing other military dads listen to their life. And my life is forever changed after every episode because I can't help but assimilate that wisdom from those interviews. Right. Yeah, I refer to it as maturity. You know, you start to gain all these different perspectives and see things from different angles. And there's just some edges on life that weren't previously available to you for one reason or the other. And you start to take all these things into consideration. Great example is earlier today, I had a podcast with uh, a Catholic bishop, somebody that we would have, you know, never really in the past considered bringing on. But the discussion we had about biblical masculinity is a conversation I happen to agree with. But something that we just didn't broach before. And whether you're Catholic or Christian or, or atheist or agnostic or whatever, there's something that can be learned and extracted from those lessons, even if it doesn't completely align. In fact, it's a good thing if it doesn't completely align with what you think, because it broadens your perspective. It, it, it helps you be a w more well-rounded individual. And then, like I said a second ago, it just helps you with the level of maturity. That, that there's differing perspectives, there's differing thoughts, that not everything is so black and white. You don't fall into one of two camps. You know, we all belong in, in a thousand or an infinite number of camps. And so yeah. I, I, I feel pretty fortunate to have been able to have interviewed, I, I want to say like 270 men now, something right around there. So it's pretty incredible. The, uh, the part that you're also hitting there is when you, when you cross lines like that, you also remember that there's more that binds us than separates us. Yeah. And in American society, I think we often focus on what we don't have in common. And that is what polarizes and makes people further apart. But when you spend that little time to build a little bit of empathy between two sides, there's a little bit of part of you that's like, we do have a lot in common. We have some things where we disagree, but we always have more in common. That's even the American idea is that we can always find things that we have more in common than we can, than we don't. And we focus on the others, which is where we get today in our society, where it's not unique thoughts. It's just regurgitated of all the things we don't have in common. Yeah. I mean, as long as you're like, I, I believe in diversity. I think that's really important, but there's a fundamental element of diversity that is very, very critical that a lot of people overlook. And that's the idea that we all need to be on the same page. Mm -hmm. I, I should say it differently. We all need to be going towards the same place, right? Have the same ideals, have the same morals, have the same objectives. And then if that is the underlying foundation of the collective of the group, whatever happened, that group happens to be, whether it's your country or your neighborhood or your team or whatever, then yeah, then the diversity actually serves the group because they're looking at how to get to that end result the same. You run into a problem when the end result is different or the uh, ideals are not the same or the morals aren't completely aligned. And then Or a different rule book even. Like the game of masculinity has like five different rule books probably, if not more, of how many different people turn it to be something that it's never was designed to be and then it creates different Yeah, problems. I don't know if it's like a rule book. I don't know if I would use that term necessarily. I mean, maybe you could, maybe you could tell me what you mean by that. And like, if you think of the, like the the toxic masculinity, there's a rule book I think that people have, or that if you if you buy into toxic masculinity, there's a set of rules that you believe of what men should be doing and shouldn't be doing, and that's what creates that word toxic man. There's like something that leads up to that. But then I think there's a definition that you and I share that this is a different set of rules than live live your life by as a man. And I think you get toxic masculinity when someone kind of 
turns the rules around in a way to manipulate for their own purpose or their own unjust cause or their own view that they want to try to win over. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. You know, I, uh, I, occasionally I'll get somebody who says, well, what, what makes you, or what gives you the right to determine what masculinity is? Well, I do. It's my life and it's my opinion. (laughs) I'm not so arrogant enough to believe that this is the objective standard or metric by which we judge all masculinity throughout all of history and all of culture. I don't think that. I just think that this is my opinion based on the 38 years of experience that I've had. And, you know, in the next two years or one month or 10 years, that's probably going to change and evolve and grow and expand. And at that time, I'll still think I'm right. You know, yep. like it's an opinion and it's worked for me and it's working for millions of men who follow along and implement the teachings and the practices of, of our organization. Uh, but if it doesn't fit for you or you don't agree, oh, okay, well, that's your prerogative and that's, that's fine. I have no problem with that. It's cool. Yeah. Let's maybe take a pivot. So you were in the army. What years did you serve? Well, I'll, let me be clear. I was in the National Guard. National um, Guard, okay. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, like people, it's funny because people thank me for my service, and and I'm and that's great, and I and I accept that that offer of gratitude. Um, you know, but I but even though I was so I was in the military from 1999 through about 2007 ish, 2006, 2007. Uh, I did an active duty tour in 2005 and 2006 in Ramadi. And man, like even with that, like I don't, I I see some of these veterans and I'm like, man, I don't even, I'm not even in the same class as like Mm -hmm. what you guys are and what you're all about. So I I always want to make sure that I'm, that I'm fair and true to, true to that. So yeah, Army National Guard went, when I did activate in 2005 to Iraq, you know, they transferred you to the Army, but yeah, National Guard technically. I have a similar one where I did all my time in the Marine Corps in Okinawa. So I never saw Iraq or Afghanistan Mm. and that kind of like you're on a tropical Island and your brothers and sisters are over there fighting a battle that you're not necessarily given a choice that you can or not be there, but you still, and then coming back and then comparing your stories or whatever scars you come back with and whatever life you're dealing with. It's always hard when you have that comparison of not holding as much burden as some of the other brothers and sisters that you serve with did. And, that's often a, um, a, a trap that I, I hear a lot of veterans get into. Knowing your story a little bit, I can imagine the person you were from 2007, probably right up until the point where you, your marriage was on the rocks, there was a lot of Ryan Mickler that was going through a little bit of identity crisis. Were you, would you say that would be true? Like you were trying to figure out who you were or you were in the process of I don't know if I was trying to figure that. out anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I was just like going, you know, there, cause if you're trying to figure something out, at least there's some, some there's a process inside and some thought about like, I need to deliberately and intentionally fix myself, but there wasn't any of that at all. Did so, you have your identity t- attached to the uniform? Was there any part of like Ryan no. Mickler that died when you took off the uniform that you really didn't no. know how to replace? No, I never really felt like that. And I think part of the reason is, is because I was in the National Guard. So I had a lot of other things outside of my military. Yeah, there were other right identities now. that you could hang on to. When yeah, you- I mean, before we got activated in 2000, the end of 2004 is when I officially got the call on, on Thanksgiving of all, of all days on, in 2004. Um, you know, I was, I was managing a retail clothing store in Southern California. My wife and I had just been married for three months, four months at that time. So yeah, I mean, there like who I was was not like I wasn't a soldier as an identity. That was one of the things that I did. Mm. That's how I viewed that. 
so when you first took when you first got out of the national guard did you have any type of plan like what was kind of come next like what you thought you had figured out the way the world and that was what ryan Mickler was going to do like was there any how river how many bad of a plan it was really just kind of like in repeat and rinse the american dream of job debt and kids and marriage and (laughs) keep repeating it um so like i said i was managing a retail clothing store so when i left uh, the company, the organization buckle, which was a great company, still is a great company. As far as I know, uh, they, they had offered to, uh, keep the store. So they were going to bring another manager in and have her run the store while I was away. And then when I came back, they had planned on giving me the store back. And I remember, uh, talking with my regional manager and, and saying, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm not going to be coming back. And I didn't really have a plan at that point. I didn't know what I was going to do, but uh, I had managed to save quite a bit of money. We didn't pay taxes while I was overseas. That was one yep. of the benefit. And then we had different pay and everything. And the fact that I was living in California increased my basic allowance for housing. And so there was things like that. My wife moved home. So there was just some, so some you really hunkered down. So you had kind of a runway when you got back to, yeah, I mean, I didn't have, we didn't have any expenses really. Uh, we, had, we didn't have any kids at the time. So we saved a lot of money and I came back, uh, about halfway through my deployment, maybe two thirds through my deployment. And, uh, and I talked to my in-laws because I didn't know what to do with my money. I'm like, well, what do we, what do we do with this? You know? And they said, well, I met with a financial advisor. We can introduce you. So I actually met with that financial advisor uh, while I was on that leave. And he ended up hiring me on the spot, essentially. And, and then uh, I took all of my study materials, my insurance and investment exam materials back to Iraq with me. And in our downtime in between missions and jobs and everything else I studied and came back. And again, that was 2006, took my exams. And I did that from 2006 through about uh, 2014, 15, some, you know, right in there. Did you like, I feel like you just kind of walked in there a little bit. Did did it just feel like a different thing? So you just kind of jumped onto it or did you have an idea of where you wanted it to take your life? Walked into financial planning, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, like it found I, you, know, you instead of you finding it. Like it wasn't like, man, I mean, this is something I've really had kind of itching on my heart, and this kind of just fell in my lap. Yeah, I mean, it was more that. Like I was, I was pretty young. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and so you know, it worked out for me. I know a lot of soldiers and military members and veterans who are transitioning out of the military who who really struggle with what is it that I'm going to do. Now, I did some odds and ends. I did some electrical work for a little while. Uh, I did some heating and plumbing. I, I I did some odds and ends here and there while I was trying to like get my financial planning practice up and running. But yeah, I was pretty fortunate. Um, it could have went the other way very easily, mm-hmm. uh, but it happened to work out. I've always been uh, able to communicate fairly effectively. I, I, I like sales. I like meeting people. I like the challenge of turning somebody in from they don't know anything about me or my product or my company to now they're a raving fan. That's always been something that's been very appealing. I had the sales background in the retail management store. So yeah, it was something that just worked out pretty well, quite honestly. I, it, like I said, it could have easily gone the other way. It just fortunately, it didn't. Got you. Interesting question. You might have to take a few seconds to think about it, but you've thought about your life a lot, so maybe you won't have to. If you could time travel back to a moment in time where you just got out of the service and you've kind of got your whole life in front of you, but you have all the options, what would you write to a note to yourself on a sticky note sized piece of paper and leave on the table for you to find? Ah, uh, man, I would just tell myself to take more risks. That's it. You know, like we play life so safe, you know, we always take the path of least resistance, the path that seems the safest when opportunities present themselves. We 
rationalize and justify why we can't or shouldn't take advantage of those opportunities and it's life short. So especially when you have all the, like the one thing I could kick myself after podcasting is I sat in Okinawa for three freaking years doing absolutely nothing but Xbox and walking and going right. on site. I could have a podcast. I could have done anything for those three years. Like that was, yeah. the, I had complete, t- I didn't think of it at the time, but looking back, like I could have done anything. Like if that would have been 2015 when podcasting were, were kicking up, like that would have been amazing to start a podcast in Okinawa. I would have had no time. I wasn't training at time for family. It would have been a game changer. Like now that's one thing I, I would write myself a note, like do more things with your spare time when you, when you aren't trading like time with your wife for a podcast. Like that's often a difficult one. I'm sure you struggle with it when you first get going, when you're trying to get everything going, like do you become a great dad or do you create a creative business that also helps you become a great dad? I don't think they're at odds with each other. You know, there's like people talk about this. Where, where's the balance? Well, balance to me makes it feel like, you know, there's, there's two sides of the scale, right? And you got mm-hmm. one foot on this side and one foot on this other side of the scale. And you're like trying to find the right amount to feel. I, I just don't think that's true. I, I think the more congruency you can find in your life between being a business owner and being a father and a husband and every other thing that you want to do, it's like, it's like layers, right? It's not, it's not opposite sides of the spectrum. It's layers on top of layers on top of layers. And fortunately for me with, with the podcasting and the movement that we have now, this helps me be a better father and being a better yeah. father helps me be a better business owner and a better podcaster. So yeah. if you look at it more like layers as opposed to a choice mm, or an or statement, like competing, maybe well, just activities competing with each other, right? Like I'm either a dad or a business owner. I'm a employee or yeah. I'm a business owner or whatever, fill in the blank. Instead of looking at it as competing, look at it as complementary, and then build a congruency between the between yeah. the systems that you have. The other thing I would say, Ben, too, is like, you know, we have to be very careful. And that's why I'm like always hesitant on that question of like, if you could rewind, like it's great for people who are listening, but for our own practices, I think we ought to ask ourselves maybe that question, like, what would you do if you went back in time and then stop dwelling on it and do it now, right? So if your yep. thing was, well, I just wish I wouldn't have wasted time. Well, then that means today you shouldn't waste any time. And tomorrow, right. don't waste any time. Yeah. And on and on and on and on. And since I've lost my job uh, three weeks ago, I found out, and last Friday was my last day. That's been my, yesterday when my daughter was home all day from daycare. So I just spent time being a dad. But today I was on pretty much go, go, go. And now I have everything I've ever wanted. I got the time freedom. I got the ability to be a dad. And I'm going all in on everything that I've always wanted. And now I don't have that choice of work. Like now... I feel even more stronger to take those layers and just kind of um, grow them with a big pile of fertilizer and just keep going. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of military dads don't recognize the value that their own life brings to the role of parenting. What are some of the gems of being a military dad that you've been able to help be, help create stronger men as your sons and even your daughter? Like there's a lot of just life skills and perspectives on the world that we often don't give enough credit for ourselves to help pass on to our kids. Uh, discipline and structure. I mean, if there's, if there's one or two things that, that a military member is good at over anybody else, it would be the structure and the discipline to have a plan, to work a plan, to have those after action reviews in place so they can make sure what they did was effective. And if it wasn't, they can tweak and change and adopt those things. So yeah, I mean, you have all the discipline and structure in place now just figure out a way to translate it from here's me at work to I'm actually the same person at home. A lot of guys talk about the hats they wear, right? I'm a soldier. 
oh, and now I'm playing the dad hat. No, like you're still a dad actually while you're a soldier. Mm-hmm. And you're still a dad, you're still a, a dad while you're a soldier and still a soldier while you're a dad, right? It works both ways. So, so figure like, I know a lot of guys and usually it comes to their, their occupation, whether it's a military member or a CEO or an employee or whatever. And, and it seems to me that a lot of guys are really, really good at the provide component of what it means to be a man. And so they can go into the workforce, whatever that workforce is, and they can, kick butt and they can do everything they need to do. And then they have a very difficult time translating that over to their family life. But it's all the same skill sets, right? It's structure, it's discipline, it's sacrifice, it's prioritizing what's important and what isn't, and just being present in what you're doing. So, and all of those things are great attributes from military members. If they can just learn to translate it over to their civilian life as well as their, their occupation. And I think the hat fallacy, which I've never called it that, but I'm gonna call it that now, is there's this mindset that when you're at work, you're thinking about family, and when you're with family, you're thinking about work. And that's the problem when you're wearing multiple hats is you never can be in the same space without thinking about the other one at the same time. And that's what I'm loving the most about being a dadpreneur now. We're going into all in on this space because now the two ideas are combined into the same title and their entire way of life, and they're they're, they're it's integrated now. There is no difference there is going from this moment to being a dad and going to the bathroom to wipe my daughter's butt like all those moments exist in the same time and it's it's the better way to be and it's the the mindset to be present like you're you're talking about and we often talk on the the simplest way to be a dad is just remember that your kids will spell love t-i-m-e it won't matter what they do with you they just want your time like that at the end of the day is all they want and that's the the dad fallacy almost that they want all those things. And I think it's the leave, leave it to beaver mindset where the dad would just come home, sit and read the newspaper and his job was done for the day. I think that 1950s model of what a man was provided is still running in America today. And I think that's why marriages are going bankrupt and the, the kids families are going bankrupt because the, the dad isn't there depositing in all the other bank accounts that he needs to, to make sure that his marriage is stronger than he's ever been every single day. And his kid connection with his kids is stronger every single day. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's a big part of, well, let me explain it like this. We, we are, and I'm just speaking in generals here, but generally speaking, men tend to be more like tangible, right? Like what can I actually sink my teeth into? And so if you think about work, uh, it's very easy to quantify whether or not you're successful, right? Mm-hmm. So you can look at the mission in, 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 the, in the form of a military mission and think, okay, did we accomplish the mission? Yes, we did. Cool. Then I'm better for it. Or I'm a good leader or a good soldier or whatever, right? Uh, you can look at your bank account. Do we have more money in the bank account? Do we have less debt and, and greater assets? Yes. Okay, good. We're on the right path. Did I get a promotion? You know, how, Did I secure that, that new title, right? So it's all very tangible. It's easy to quantify. But how do you quantify being a better dad? How do you quantify being a committed and engaged husband? Those are infinitely hard. You can, and there's ways to do it, and you should make an effort to do that. But they're infinitely harder to quantify, uh, which mm-hmm. makes it easier for us as men to gravitate towards the things that we know we can produce optimal and desired and quantifiable results. And it's hard to say, I'm a better dad this week than I was last week. By what metric? I don't know. I just feel better. Well, maybe you ought to think about how you can define what some of those mm-hmm. metrics are so that you can use the skill set of growth and being able to see your progress over here on your family life. And that will help that as well as, as your career. 
you hit a word there and I'm interested to see how your growth happened. The feel part that I think if you're the, the dad that, especially military dads, the military trains you that your emotions are going to get you killed. So we often don't allow ourselves to feel what we need to feel either in battle to survive. But then when we're home, we turn those emotions off with our wife and our kids. And then it becomes a barrier. And then you start getting further and further away from your kids. And you convince yourself that your family is better without you. But that feeling is often that first metric of whether you feel like you're a good dad. Because when you feel your kid's love or your wife's love, it's like a feeling versus just like a, a physical context of either like sex or a kiss or anything. That, that feeling when you feel it in your heart. That's one of those first feelings, like when you get a good hug from your kids, you feel better, but you have to be able to feel that. And I don't think I've ever heard your story of how did you, let's say, mature in how you understood emotions to work through in your own um, understanding of masculinity and understanding how they play out in your day-to-day life. Well, let me say first is I don't agree with the premise that your emotions will get you killed. I don't either, but that's what the military sells. And, and the, the problem with that thought is it's just not true. In fact, your emotion, it's, it, let me say it this way. It's the response to your emotions that could get you killed. Correct, yeah. Your emotions actually could keep you alive, right? Because if you're afraid, like if you're in a war or a combat situation, you're in a firefight in the middle of, uh, of Ramadi, Iraq, and you're afraid, that's actually probably the right emotion. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yep. You should be afraid. And the fear should then drive you towards better training, better equipment, better strategy, better tactics, so that you can position yourself for ultimate success and keep you and the people that you care about, your brothers in arms, alive. So to say that, or, or to adhere to the belief that the military, maybe the military says or doesn't say or whatever, that, that your emotions will get you killed is not, is not true, right? The so, interesting part is they don't actually tell you that, to my knowledge, but I feel like there's unspoken uh, truths that like somehow it's, it's not okay to cry or it's not okay to admit that you well, don't that actually have it might all be to- true. Like it actually might be true that it's not okay to cry because contrary to popular belief, there's times where, yeah, you shouldn't cry. <laughs> like <laughs> you, you could be afraid, but if you're crying and, and cowering in the corner, then yeah, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. But the converse is also true that there is times where it's okay to express emotion. You know, I get emotional occasionally and when I do it's when it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. So it's not the thing about masculinity and, and this is where people get a, get it wrong. And even stoicism, a lot of people get stoicism wrong. People think stoicism is the ability to like hide your emotions. That's, that's not what stoicism is. Stoicism is the ability to understand your emotions understand what they're telling you, understand what they're teaching you, and then act accordingly. That's it. So there's this thing like vulnerable, right? Like everybody talks about vulnerability. It's a big buzzword. Like be vulnerable, be vulnerable. Why? Like if there's a, if there's a purpose for it, then okay, I'm on board with that. But vulnerability for the sake of being vulnerable is stupid and it's dangerous actually. So emotions are there to serve us. If they weren't, we wouldn't have either been created to have and express these emotions, or we wouldn't have evolved them over time. Probably a combination of both. They're there to serve us. So for me, when I began to understand that I'm not going to subdue and suppress how I feel, but I am going to respond according to it. If you're pissed about something, that actually might be the right emotion. Mm -hmm. Great. Now what are you going to do with it? If you're afraid or sad or jealous or happy or glad, great. What are you going to do with it? 
right? Because if you're happy and you're just bumbling around the world like an idiot because you're happy, well, you're not producing any results. But if you're happy, that should be an indicator that, oh, my marriage is going well. Well, why is it going well? Oh, because you, you are continuing to court your wife and you guys were intimate last night and that's something worth being happy about. Yep. How do you then produce that tonight, right? So emotions are great. They're wonderful. They're needed. Um, and, and it's hard because in the world of social media, we see a lot of phrases that, that sound really good. They're like sound bites, but they don't go into the nuance of what actually needs to be explained in order for somebody to adopt that phrase as an effective strategy in life. That's why I love podcasting so much is because you can take a snippet that people hear and then you can explain the, the, the nuances and the context behind it to actually apply it effectively in your life. So yeah, I, I don't buy into like, don't be emotional. No, be emotional. Don't react in a way that's not going to serve you to those emotions. React yep. reasonably and responsibly. Or don't lie to yourself that this emotion exists because they're meant to be felt and understood versus suppressed. Yeah. I mean, if you're afraid, it's okay to be afraid. Mm-hmm. You, you may not go like running around telling everybody you're afraid, right? Like if you're a CEO of an organization or a team leader of, of in, in a, a work environment, like telling people that you're afraid is probably actually going to undermine your authority, but being afraid and then saying, okay, well, what is it that I'm afraid of and how can I respond and react accordingly so that I can keep myself and other people safe? Well, that's a healthy response to emotion rather than subduing it or pretending it doesn't exist, but it's also not exposing yourself to unnecessary risk by telling everybody how you feel. Mm -hmm. I like that. When you were going through your, let's say from the 2007, 2014, the financial planner, where would you rate your ability to understand emotions at? Was that something that was like something you ignored or were you fairly in touch with your emotions and maybe in how you should respond to them? No, it wasn't even on my radar. So I don't know. I mean, most of what I did was very reactionary. So if I was upset, I let myself blow up because I was upset. And I didn't realize that there's actually a way to control and then use your emotion effectively. So I would blow up at my wife. Um, I, I would get angry. Uh, I would get impatient and make stupid decisions and, and be rash. And it would just cause a wake of collateral damage in my path. It was a very, and that's what it is it's immaturity. It was a very immature way to approach my life. I mean, most of us have, have experienced this, right? We, we, we get angry and so we, we yell at somebody that we love and, and let them take the brunt of it when maybe it wasn't even their fault. Like I still do it. I'm not, I'm not immune to it even now. Yeah. But I'm more aware of it. But you know, when I was getting started with my financial planning practice as I was getting pissed or impatient, I didn't know how to deal with it, right? So it was just reactionary as opposed to responding accordingly. And the part that I remember about your story very um, consciously is when you were in the car driving, I think up to like Northern Utah, maybe, or Nevada, and mm-hmm. your wife was on her way out the house to go move out. And you were like, what am I doing running away? Like yeah. you, you realized that, that you made a choice to run, even though you hadn't realized that it was a choice to run. And then you had to make a choice to serve and come back to your family consciously. Like that was, I feel like your turning point from when I've heard your story in the past. I don't know if you consider that's like where yeah. you, you made a yeah, complete definitely. 90 degree turn and said that these choices aren't necessarily the ones that I want to make in the future. And you decided to come home. Well, I mean, if you look at life, like most of the time we can run away from our problems. Like mm-hmm. there's very little, I, I would say actually the military is an exception to that. You can't run away. Like you're in the fight. Like here it is. It's, it's there. 
But for the most part, and for most people, the problems that they have, they can just run away from, right? Marriage isn't working or on the rocks a little bit. Ah, oh, just get a divorce. You don't like that job because it's tough or your boss is a dick. Oh yeah, just you know, quit and collect unemployment benefits and then go find a new job. Or what, you know, like, so we all run away from our problems. But the sooner that you stop running and embrace or at least confront your problems. Yeah. Recognize that you're responsible for creating an outcome that's different than that problem. Like, I think that's what you, you're always talking about in your Facebook group is man up. Not only just like man up, like in the context in the bad way that people say it, but like make it own to where you are at in your life by the decisions you've made to get there and then start owning the decisions to get from where you want to be versus where you are. Yeah. The problem is so many guys look at external factors and use that as an excuse for underperformance. And it's easy to do because there are external factors beyond your control. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we're just dealt a shitty hand and like, that's your hand. Mm -hmm. So what guys, what a lot of guys will do is they'll say, well, yep. See, like can't do anything. Cause this is the hand I was dealt. Well, no, you can still do something. You just got to play that hand a little bit differently. So yeah. And I'm not, I'm not even suggesting that somebody take like fault that isn't theirs um, or doesn't acknowledge external circumstances beyond their control. I'm just saying, focus on what you can control and see if you can turn that hand into, into something playable into something yeah. usable. I was doing an in podcast interview this morning and the guest mentioned that when he first found track, he realized that track is something that you almost have complete control over the performance of your body, how you perform on that track. It's very little other than like the wind resistance most factors to be successful at track are in your control and based on the knowledge that you can hone to tune, fine tune your body. And it was kind of like, I was like, that makes a lot of sense because a lot of other sports are based on circumstance and luck and a little bit of skill. And, but track was one of those things that like he fell in love with it because of the amount of control that he had and the responsibility that he could take to just run and perform at his best within that. Yeah. I mean, there's still external factors, right? There's, there's temperature, there's humidity, there's heat, there's cold, there's track conditions, uh, there's, uh, altitude, oxygen levels, like there's things outside of your control, but the beauty of that, even with track or any other sport or any other activity you're engaged in is these aren't unknowns. Like these variables aren't, aren't something you can't figure out. Like you can figure out, okay, I'm in a higher elevation, less oxygen. So therefore I need to train for lower oxygen levels or you know the track is the track is slick like it rained last night i know it's wet so do you just bitch and moan about the track being wet or do you get some different cleats that are designed to deal with wet a wet track i, I know nothing about running but, <laughs> either but, do i <laughs> yeah but I, you get the concept right yeah. so even though there are things beyond our control in every situation we may find ourselves in it doesn't mean there's nothing you can do about it you just adapt. You, you gain as much information and knowledge about the situation as possible. And then you adjust and adapt accordingly so that you can have the success that you're after. Mm -hmm. Let's take a pivot. Um, I don't, you don't talk too much, but I'm sure you have an amazing answer for it. When you hear the word legacy, what starts running through your head as far as what it means to you, what you're trying to do with your thing, with your podcast and what you want to do with your family. So when you hear the word legacy, what comes to mind and what do you run on with that word as far as what you try to create every day? Well, legacy for me is what's left after you're long dead and gone. Mm -hmm. Like what remains of you? Not physically, obviously, but yep. like what, what remains of you in the hearts of the people that you love and you care about and wanted to serve. And by the way, you're, you don't get a choice as to whether or not you leave a legacy. Yeah, you leave one consciously whether you choose to or not. 
Right. And that legacy is either positive or negative based on your behaviors and your actions and your thoughts and how you impacted people. So look, the legacy is going to happen. So you might as well make it a good one. And for me, a good one is when I think about how I want to be remembered and the inspiration that I leave for people is that Ryan was somebody who uh, was willing to breathe life into his aspirations and dreams. Uh, he was willing to take some risks. He was willing to do the things that he talked about doing. I don't care if I necessarily even succeeded in all of those things, but I want to be remembered for somebody who tried, uh, somebody who, you know, tried to do the right thing. Um, when, when he messed up, he, he, he tried to rectify and, and make amends with the situation as quick as possible. And that people acknowledge that I, I worked hard and I was willing to take a stand towards something that I feel very, very important about. Um, it's really not much more than that. There's, there's not, not anything more, more deeply or anything more grand than that. It's just does, you know, I think a legacy, I think of my children specifically, but I want them to say, you know, I'm inspired by dad or when they're uh, faced with a difficult decision, I want them to say, you know, what would dad do? Yeah. What would dad do? And and to me, like when the the opportunity military dads is that we have a a view of the world that less than 1% of American population has. And that view can shape a military child or a child of a military dad in a way that very few Americans can. And if we can give all of the gifts that a military dad has to our kids, they can't help but want to go out into the world to change it and make a better place. And to me, like that's the legacy is when you start creating kids that go out in the world and understand their purpose and their place and how they fit in, like, and because then they can start creating the tools that they have by their inherent God-given ability to go out and help other people in their own unique way. Like that's the best gift yeah. that we can give. And that's how your legacy, I feel like keeps going is when your kids keep going to change the world in a way that your name continues to live on, that's because you created an action that just kept on going through generations. And uh, Andy Stump said it beautifully that as a Navy SEAL, my effectiveness was limited to the range of my rifle. But mm-hmm. as a dad, my effectiveness is limited generationally into the future in centuries, not just limited in feet from the range of my rifle. And I've always liked yeah, that. I mean, I how, get that. I get um, that. And Andy Stump is a, is a good friend of mine. Um, but you know, I'd actually disagree with that. Like I think what, what we do, even in our profession, whether it's Navy SEAL or soldier or CEO or employee or whatever, dude, Andy can't say that he didn't have an impact on his brothers around him. True. But the presence of him being there, you know, like he, he, and he also trained SEALs. You can't tell me that those SEALs don't remember him for better or worse. And I'm sure there's both right yeah like people that every that, that he haunts and something yeah. inspired so i i totally get what he's saying you know but also everything matters from the way that we show up as fathers to the way that we show up within our team and our and our units and our troops like everything matters if you're dealing with other people or you're in contact with other people like you never know you might say or or do the one thing that's going to impact that person who saw you that you maybe never even acknowledged or recognized or saw. And then that person goes on to change their life. I mean, that's even what I think about this movement. You know, it's like there, there's people that have been positively impacted by what we're doing here with order of man that I will never meet, right? Like I'll never shake their hand. I'll never look into their eyes. I don't even know they exist. And that person will bring a son or daughter into the world or will lead his team and he'll say something that he heard me say, or he'll implement some practice that, you know, I originally created or shared and that will generationally impact his life. So 
yeah, I, I, I understand what Andy's saying, but I think he's discounting his, his ability to uh, really, really make a difference, not only in his family's life, because I know he's a great father, but in the lives of his troops and the people that he, that were, he was uh, responsible for caring for within his unit. Mm -hmm. And I like what you said there when it's around the people and you haven't met. And uh, there was a guest that I just had on, he had did a YouTube video of his uh, story about how PTSD almost killed him. And he actually got to shake the hands of a husband whose wife showed him this video and said, my kids have a dad because you shared your story. Yeah, man. Like, I mean, even just how think awesome about like the amount of suicides that you prevented by giving dads the ability to own who they are. And like, there's a kid out there that gets to hug their dad tonight in a way they'll never know that you helped bring their dad home. And that's yeah. the best part of all this podcasting is you're, you're just creating waves in a lake that you actually will never actually see. And all of those waves have interactions with people and every episode matters. And, um, it's, it's, it's the magic yeah, it's, of podcasting. It's pretty powerful. You know, there's been guys in our Facebook group. We've got a fairly large Facebook group who, you know, you can tell they reach out because they're, uh, they're dealing with depression and anxiety. And in some cases, unfortunately, suicidal thoughts and even attempts. And we've, we have had a handful of guys who I know through, uh, other members of the Facebook group that have seen these posts and reached out to those individuals personally to get them help or reached out to authorities to get some intervention going that quite literally we are saving lives. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that's a humbling, powerfully awesome responsibility that's on my shoulders to show up fully as best I can, uh, because we are, we are quite literally saving lives here. It's that important. And the way that you, uh, kind of, um, raise your kids to understand the Mickler name and some of your secret tests that you go through when you're, when they're going through different stages of growing up those are understanding what it means to wear that Mickler name and wear it as a badge of honor and understand that I often like to describe it as like Steve Jobs says that he wanted to make a dent in the universe. He did that, but I like to describe it as a wall. And like, as a dad, you have the opportunity to, to like, if your kids go out and create a dent, or even if you create a dent, like people are going to walk by that wall one day and like the Micklers were here because mm. that's what you're like, your power is you can create a place where people like, yeah, the Micklers stopped by here and this is the dent they left because they, they created such a legacy that kept on giving for the, the ripples just kept going well beyond yeah. our time on this earth. Yeah, that's cool. That's a powerful way to look at it or like a, like a footprint, right? Just leaving your footprint behind and people seeing it and being proud of it. And even to go back to your statement of like, man up, like I say that to my boys, man up, but they also know what that means. Cause mm-hmm. we've talked about it. Yeah. Cause man up is like, don't be a little bitch. Man up is like, Hey, take responsibility, take accountability, get up. You got your butt kicked, get up, dust yourself off, get back in the fight and re-engage the way that we've taught and trained you to do, you mm-hmm. know, but that takes, that takes effort of, on my part to like, not just say man up, but like explain what that actually means. Coach, teach, guide in losses and wins like how we deal with these things. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't find fault in those phrases of like man up as long as there's context behind it. And I think that's part of your legacy as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't wait to see what the Mickler kids do. They're too young to really start uh, to get for shadow. I'm sure you have some ideas what they're going to do when they grow up, but uh, I can't wait to fast yeah. forward 20 years from now and just like Me too, see man. the amount of uh, duplicates. It's almost like uh, the Ramsey legacy of Dave Ramsey. Like, 
his kids are continuing his legacy and what he started in, in their own unique ways. And like that Ramsey is a very, very good example because it's a massive dent um, that keeps on getting bigger and they just keep replicating in their own way, but they've been kind of anchored in the same values of how to approach life and what they value and how to have Christ at the center of that and, and grow from that moment. You know, what's even amazing about that, that legacy and that uh, empire, if you will, is that, that came from heartache and frustration and you know it's like that it was born like like the phoenix like ashes from the from the 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 fire right like it was Mm -hmm. born from destruction that's what's so cool is you take these raw ingredients and that's what we are as human beings right like we're raw ingredients we can be acted upon we can be combined we can be educated and taught and so we're these raw ingredients and through our own actions and experiences that we have we're formulated and molded and shaped and baked if you will into whoever it is you are now and if you're happy with that good if you're not then you got some more refining to do and that's okay because you can do it but most of the people who are successful that I've been able to communicate with and have conversations with like things aren't always like sunshine and fairy tales. <laughs> like, yep. These people come from some dark situations, some very dark places. They're, they're troubled in a lot of ways. There's some mental baggage that is left behind, but these people have also found a very uh, productive and powerful way to overcome. The, I think Jocko is a good example that, uh, I mean, the man, you could easily think that he, he, he's figured out life, but that everybody still carries. And I'm sure you're close friends with, with Jocko. So I'm sure you get to see the person behind the the camera and the the podcast and everybody has that side and everybody grows through that. And I've recently, so coming out of my employment for eight years, I've kind of framed it like it was always under pressure. And I always felt like I was kind of like just growing under pressure, almost like a diamond. And now that I've kind of gone through that pressure and process of growing under heartache a little bit now with the diamonds out and it's time to shine, but there's still going to be pressure. Like that diamond is done and there's not done shining, but that, that there is so much growth that can happen under pressure. And that's often the part that I think most men forget is that the magic actually happens when you're under pressure versus when your life is easy. Yeah. I mean, how many, how many guys just take the path of least resistance and they look around and they're like, why am I not happy? Cause you didn't do anything worth being happy about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the same thing with confidence. People talk to me about confidence quite a bit. It's like, how do you develop confidence? Like, I'm not confident with myself. Well, yeah, that makes sense. When's the last time you did anything hard? Oh, I don't know. Well, yeah, you're not entitled to be confident. You have to earn it. How do you earn it? By doing things that you can be proud of. Like getting, here's a very small victory, getting up and not hitting snooze. Like if you do that, you're going to be more proud of yourself than you were the day before. Yep. And then you get, if, if you got up an hour earlier or even 15 minutes earlier and you just did, Hey, you know what? This morning I'm going to wake up 15 minutes earlier. I'm going to do a hundred pushups and then my day is going to be the same. Okay. Well, like you're that much better and you have something to be proud of. And then tomorrow, you know, you do the hundred pushups, you wake up 20 minutes early and maybe you cook yourself a healthy breakfast instead of eating junk or not eating at all. Right. Like this is how you gain confidence. This is how you, how you build up momentum is you do these small, seemingly insignificant tasks and you prove to yourself that you're worthy, that you're capable, that you're powerful, that you can affect change in your own life. And therefore it's going to start spilling out into other people's lives. Mm-hmm. It's just small steps. Most people are looking for the home run. 
And I think the gym is a good example of that. I remember when I first started the gym, like even just doing dumbbells, it's like, well, that was hard yesterday, but now it's easy. And I'm like, oh, well, what was hard yesterday will be easy today if you just keep putting in the reps. And you said something in one of your solos, I don't know, probably like maybe eight months ago about how you can like, sometimes you can just feel completely miserable about your life. But if your car is a hot mess, go fucking clean your car. Yeah. Like there's so much, like I, I still ha- I remember that. And I think like my car is a mess. Ryan says your life can be a mess, but if your car is a mess, then you're just letting the simple things skate by. Like anybody can keep a car clean. That doesn't take any skill level. It just takes dedication and focus and ma- paying attention. But that little simple thing is keeping your car clean can spill over. And then you start doing it in other places you don't even realize. And it can be as simple as starting with keeping your car clean. Yeah. Which most people would say that sounds stupid. <laughs> that's dumb. Yeah. That's the same concept as, uh, what is it like, uh, Admiral McRaven or something? I can't remember his name of making your bed. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Like, I think that's what it's called. Like, make your bed, I think, is a speech in, your, in his book. And that sounds stupid. Like, if you listen to that, you're like, the way that you change your life is make your bed in the morning. Come on. That's overly simplistic. That's stupid. Everybody yes, assumes it has to be hard. Right. And, and it will get harder, of course, just like the dumbbells. You know, it's like, good. You did the 10 pounders today, 15 pounders next week, 20, 25, 30, a hundred, right? Like it's yep. going to get harder just, but build up those small wins first. And it's funny. Cause I have a lot of people who say, you know, like, you know, my family doesn't believe in me. My wife doesn't trust me. Like, how do you, dude, you can't even take the trash out when you say you will. <laughs> like, yeah. why should you trust you? Right. Mm-hmm. You can't even get home from work on time. Your words you junk. You can't even make your mortgage payment. Like, why should she trust you to do this thing? Like, win those small battles consistently. Yeah. And, and I, I talk a lot about it in the context of elevating your problems, right? Like, the, 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 the key of life should be to elevate your problems. Like, when you're born, you have these problems, right? Which is you can't change your own diaper and, th- you know, you're not even conscious enough at that point to be able to think about these things. But those are the problems. They're, like, easy. But, you know, somewhere around two years old, like we outgrow the problem of not being able to poop on the toilet. Right? Yeah. And, but then when we get to like 18, we think like we stop, right? We're like, oh man, I, I, I got that report turned in on time and like, cool, I've graduated now. I'm good. No, like continue to elevate your problem. Now I can stop reading books. Right. And if your problems are the same problems that now that you were dealing with five years ago, there's an issue. Like for me, at the risk of sounding maybe arrogant, but this will illustrate the point, like I'm not worried about making our bills. Like that's not a problem I have right now. Mm -hmm. I've elevated myself past those problems by dealing with and confronting the issue head on and then making myself capable of dealing with that. So like, what is the next big problem I'm trying to solve? Even within my business is, uh, you know, we we do events. Part of our our business model is events. I don't, when I started the very first event I did, we couldn't give spots away. I couldn't like literally nobody signed up for our very first event and I had to kick it down the road a little bit and figure some things out. Well now like I don't even need to promote an event and we can sell them out instantaneously. Yeah. So I could rest on mention it or like, I'm thinking about something and people have already crossed their calendar. Like I'm just going to make March available so that whenever Ryan says that I'm going to be there. Right. So, you know, I, I could rest on that and, and I can say, well, look how great I am. Like I did this thing and now I'm, now it's amazing. I could, or I could elevate my problem. And I'm even thinking about that now. It's like, 
what's the next event where it's not a hundred people, but like 10 times that, like I'm bringing in a thousand people into a, into an area, into an event and experience. And that's something that's going to happen next year. So like continue to elevate your problems and work past those lower, uh, less, less complex, less mature problems. And I can see that you applying that with your kids and your family of, I mean, you moved your entire family to Maine, which was kind of like you created the problem or the desire and then you did it. And so now that you've got a whole new environment and this allows you as a family to grow with a completely different set of circumstances. Life is different living in Maine and then Utah, I'm sure. And that just creates an entire new set of, um, I mean, you get to talk about work boots. You never got to talk about work boots when you lived exactly, in Utah. Man. Like you, you talk get to... about snow and work boots and snowmobiling and snowshoeing. Yeah, I mean, even in that context, when we moved out here, the house that we bought it didn't have a heating system. Well, that's a problem. <laughs> it's going to get below zero. I probably want to have a heating system in the house. And so there was things in the house like this needs to be addressed. This needs to be addressed. This needs to be addressed. And there's still things that need to be addressed, but we prioritize them, right? So you line up your problems. Okay, well, this is immediate. Like this is like heat. I need to get heat like yesterday, right? Yeah, so, that's primal. Right. So we get the heating system addressed. Cool. Check. I don't have to worry about that problem anymore. Oh, now what if the power goes out? Hmm, better get a generator. So then that was the next thing. Get a generator in place. Okay. All right, good. Now that's taken care of. Now what do we need to do next? Okay, now it's more cosmetic, right? So the carpet in the front room needs to be replaced. So you just, and and I'm using this as analogy or metaphor for life, right? Like we all have these problems. We all have these issues that we need to deal with. Write them all down, document them. This, 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 and this. Cool, what's priority number one? This, this represents the greatest risk. Good, address that. Then cross it off, you're done. You never have to worry about that again. Now move to the next problem and you make yourself capable of dealing with harder, more demanding, more difficult things. And therefore you're rewarded more handsomely for those things as well. Mm-hmm. And that's the, fa- the, the, almost the, the man fallacy that the problems eventually stop. <laughs> yeah, no, they never stop. They never stop. And that's the point of life. Cause if they did stop, then you start dying. Like, well, like, I mean, how many people have listened are listening now who, and, and you guys will all relate with me on this. Like if I go on a vacation, for example, right? So my wife and I are like, let's, let's go to Hawaii, which we did about a year and a half ago. We took all the family to Hawaii, sitting on the beach, watching the kids play in the sand and the waves. And she's sitting there sun tanning, reading a book. And I'm like, this is miserable. <laughs> <laughs> like you're happy for an hour. And then you're like, I got to do something. Like I have to do something. I have to get up and do something because we're designed to, to move, to act, to solve problems. Yeah. The, and I'll tell you, if you, if you deal with this, I'm going to give you a hint here. If you deal with this, like your wife likes to go to the beach and you don't like most men, I don't think most men like to like just go hang out at the beach, right? They, they want to be surfing or something. Just bring a shovel, bring a shovel to the beach with you. I promise it'll change the game. Cause you just bit me and my kids. We just bit, di- uh, dig this big hole, usually like six by six by six hole. And we play king of the hole and we just have a good time. We bury each other and stuff. So like doing something, digging yeah. a hole in the sand, creating better adventure than just out of it. sitting there. Right. Like we yeah. are designed to look for problems and to solve them and sitting around idly doing nothing is not a good thing for men. And, and, and I would be too. curious how often they, they talk about that hole because often it's the stupidest things that you do on a vacation that they talk exactly. about the most. We went to Florida last year 
And the kids talk about the plane ride there more than anything. We had a condo yeah. beach. We had everything that you'd ever want probably, but they never talk about anything. They talk about the swimming pool at the condo and the airplane ride. When can right. we go on an airplane again? Like that's the only thing they want. They don't really care about the ocean view or the anything. It was right. a plane ride. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. That's why when you said, uh, what I, I can't love is spelled T I M E. I think is what you said. That's, yep. That's accurate. That's good. Because those it's like even mall walking, like going to the mall when it like with the, the, the elderly and they're walking around before it opens. Like that's a kid's favorite thing to do. They probably ask three times a week. Can we go mall walking? That's funny. It's the most boring thing in the world. We get a pretzel and we get an orange Julius and that's it. Yeah. And they I get to be, it. they get to be free. They get to run a little bit in the winter and even Friday, they're, they're off on school. And my oldest seven, can we go mall walking on Friday? And I'm like, maybe <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, it's, I've almost created a monster with it because it's annoying yeah. now, but uh, yeah. it's that stupid stuff. And that's, we often overcomplex it as parents and spend $15,000 on a vacation and actually forget to make any real memories that they remember. Right. Yeah, definitely. Well, Ryan, I really appreciate this conversation. It's been kind of like a, uh, a kid in a candy store because I've just known you from afar. I've, we kind of connected when I joined your podcasting course last fall and then through the, the magic of podcasting and then through the magic of losing my job, it allowed us to open the opportunity for to, to do us and get you on the show. So I really appreciate your time. If there is one uh, piece of advice that you'd wrap up specifically for a military father, knowing what military fathers go through and where you are today, what would you gift wrapped and gift military dads out there? Uh, I, you know, I would say this goes back to the conversation we were having earlier is try to find your identity in something outside of the military, right? Like, and, and maybe not a job even, but more characteristics that will translate across any job, any circumstance or experience or encounter that you have is like, wrap up your identity in, in the type of man that you want to be, not in your job or your title or what you wear or what you wear. Right. Those things will go away. Uh, they'll change. They'll be taken from you in certain circumstance, whether it's medical reasons or something else, but the type of man that you show up as that stuff will never be taken away from you. Like your integrity will never be taken away from you unless you voluntarily give it up. Right. Mm -hmm. That, that is what you build a life on is the foundation of the characteristics and the virtues you want to espouse. So yeah, wrap up your identity in, in the type of man you are and the type of man that you have a desire to be. Yeah. And I've, also, I've kind of, uh, it's a little bit cliche, but, um, in December, so I've always gotten confused on masculinity and I really finally started to understand it in the last few months. And the idea of looking in the mirror and unconditionally loving everything that's looking back at me, like that's been something that's allowed me to embrace everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and allow me to then even present myself more masculine. Cause I feel like I was always almost like internally shooting myself as a failure because mm. I didn't love everything looking back and being able to love all of that allows you to be, show more strength masculine and I've kind of just, for me, it's really helped to, I just kind of remind myself to be the oak tree in the middle of a storm and that that strength of an oak tree is kind of, for me, that um, the definition of masculinity that always kind of it has really helped me resonate when, when your wife brings you a hurricane, an oak tree is something that's strong and withstands that and you're still there and you just confront that wind with love, but you have to be able to internally love yourself in order to bring that love externally. Otherwise you're looking for, it's kind of like horse trading where you're always looking for something externally to fulfill something internally, but you got to be filled on the inside before you can bring it externally. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a powerful position to come from. That's awesome. 
it's taken me a long time to get there, a good five years, but man, I feel so, it feels free to actually have this idea of just reminding myself to be the oak tree, remind myself to, to, to show up with love versus anger or resentment or any of those other things when your wife brings you a test or a storm or whatever comes towards you because it's going to happen. Right. And you need that masculine strength to, to continue to love through that and reminder that you're not leaving. Right on. Cool. Powerful, man. Well, thank you, Ryan, for giving us your time. And I am super excited to get this out to the universe. And I know we brought a few dads home with your story and yeah. just the overall, your ability to help men understand what it is. Those, uh, we talked about in the beginning, those molecules that aren't moving, like your voice has ability to just start making resonating and start that frequency vibrating at a higher level. Well, thanks for having me, man. It was an honor to join you. So I'm excited about what you're doing. So keep rocking it. Thank you. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show. And I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet in iTunes, I would really appreciate it. And you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.